Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tastings Studio, the show that shows you what's behind the collar, welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast. I guess I took your line away, Bert. That's all right. <laughs> How you doing? I'm here. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. This is Vicker. And this is Peter. Hey, Pete. Over there. So, uh, how you guys doing? Living the dream. Exciting yeah. news this week. Very. Yeah. One is uh, 16.0. Uh, got his uh, call. So he's going to a place in uh, St. Paul's, I believe, in Sac City. Yeah. So, Which is about an hour and a half from here. Yeah, just almost due west. On Highway 20, so he might be actually he might actually be able to join us for recordings. Oh, yeah, I, I never thought of that. Yeah, he could come back. That'll be, that'll be interesting. And uh, what I'm really excited about is is uh, we were informed of the uh, the app update that will be. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. There is there is an update coming out soon. <laughs> I get so excited about the updates, <laughs> and then they come. <laughs> yeah, it's like Windows 10. <laughs> oh, that, Kidding, that's, an, that's an insult to Windows 10. Boom. <laughs> so, who is this uh, gentleman? His name is Micah Brooks. Now, I don't demand that they're a part of the podcast because sometimes they might be a little nervous. I mean, there's a little peer pressure. I mean, all the other Vickers were, you know. <laughs> well, for as long as the podcast has been you know, right. in existence. Right. I mean, you were, you were, how was your feeling on that? When you heard that we had a podcast, what was your reaction? Uh, I'll be completely honest, a little bit mixed, but just more because I wasn't sure what to expect of it. So, so calm, calm, uh, 18.0's, uh, fears I, here. I can't do that. No? <laughs> it, it's so much more fun to not do that. <laughs> I can't wait till we get a cringy email. <laughs> To be honest, he probably hasn't even realized that there is a podcast. I told him. Oh, okay. I told him. Yeah. You chatted with him on the phone then? Yeah. Oh, he was so cute. Because, because uh, you know, they think about, oh, when should I call? I don't want to call too early. I don't want to call too late. So, like, right, like, right, like he was waiting right at 8 o'clock. <laughs> you know, because you could tell. <laughs> he had been thinking about, well, you know, I don't want to call before 8 o'clock, but I don't want to. I want to be a go-getter, you know? Am I wrong, Vickers? That what goes not, through. You're not wrong. <laughs> um, I was listening uh, to our, our shows, and I noticed that, uh, and, and I think the listener will appreciate this this edition, is I know that I have a few, like, nervous or, not nervous, verbal tics. Is that is that a good way to talk, say? Where I, 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 I will say, and so, and so, and so. Does that sound familiar? No, not at all. Okay. And uh, so, wh- when I say it, Vickers got a buzzer. And so, when I... <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't sound like a nervous tick, though. Okay. <laughs> but it was, though. But it, wa- but it was. <laughs> that might be a sign of how Did I ever tell you I've that the here. time I had a, a Vicker who had like a... Like a, a uh, <laughs> this is going to get out of control. That didn't count. That wasn't and so. No, it wasn't. I had a vicar um, who who would say, uh, 
right? Right? Like in a way that and he'd like shake his hand or shake his head and do it. And I said, and he'd say he'd do it like asking in a sermon, like for the congregation to like agree with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said, you got to stop doing that because he did it a lot. And so the next sermon, because it happened in a way where you could tell right where he was going to say it. Mm-hmm. And so he would, he caught himself every time. But when he caught himself, he had a physical reaction to it where he would jerk his head back. And so I'm trying to not laugh. And so? While, while the vicar is going, you know, preaching, all of a sudden stopping and and, and doing like a... <laughs> so, so he went from having just an, a nonverbal tick to having a Tourette's tick? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's what we do here. It, <laughs> it's the o- cocaine. You, you overloaded his system. You broke the vicar. Okay, I should stop making cocaine jokes. I think it'd be better instead of like having a buzzer or something. Just get a did it get a uh, shock collar for a dog and just zap them every time. Yeah, I, but I don't want to talk about dogs right now. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we gotta we gotta rescue dog. Oh, okay. So okay, I I know we need to get to the text, but I need to, I need to get this off my. Chest. All right, we're friends, right? Yes, this we're is, friends. This is a good podcast. This is yeah, this is good. Yeah, so yes, uh, we rep- our, we had to get in. My wife had to get a new dog because our last one is now gone, and uh, so and so I'm testing out. Pay attention, Vicar. Technical difficulties. <laughs> That's what happens when when the apps get ready to update. And so we got a rescue from a a, a dog. And uh, we don't have it named yet because I want to name the dog Norman. Like Norman Bates? Just Norman. It just looks like a Norman to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, he was a, at a, from a puppy mill type of a rescue. Ugh. So, which, I have a feeling for, if you're named Norman, it wasn't too bad of a deal. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I could be wrong. But the thing is, timid. I mean... Of course, he's going to love me more, which always happens with the dog. I believe it. I don't know if it's the alpha thing or something, but... So Norman the dog. Yes. Uh, we, we need to get the clerical heirs army behind this to convince my wife that Norman is a good dog. Otherwise, I call it she. I don't know why. It's this thing. So, well, your last two dogs have been girls. Yeah. My last two dogs... <laughs> the two Anyways. dogs that have been in your house. So yeah, so he's a little timid, and I'm just like, kind of get over yourself, man. Just chill, you know. Is it just like a vicar? Kinda. The seminary is the puppy mill. Yeah, because it, it, we should just he, we he should follows call me. all of the vicars from now on Norman. Yeah, it's kind of like a vicar because he follows me around, but yet keeps like not too close, but at a distance. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like before a funeral when they don't know what to do, they just follow me around. For like a half hour, I said, you know, come join me like 20 minutes before the service. We'll be fine. You know? Yeah. You know, I actually think I had, this is true. I had a vicar. He was nervous. So he's following me around before a funeral, you know? And like, I went to the restroom. He stopped at the west re- outside the door, waited for me. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's basically my experience with this dog. So what are far. they doing to these seminarians at the seminary? I, I wish I could give a cohesive answer. 
<laughs> if you're if you're if you're a new vicar and you don't you're you don't know what you're funeral, doing you you don't know what you're doing and yeah. you don't know anybody there right who are you gonna go talk yeah. to you, you are you are pretty lost that's true because what happens is there's excitement in the air there's like your mind's on a thousand things and you feel like i should be doing something kind of like a dog that's kind of circling around the house yeah that's a good illustration yeah <laughs> so this this norman's paying off it's, I've already, I've already uh, starting to work through some same things here. So, if you what? just keep calling it, if you keep calling him Norman, there won't be any chance to do anything else. So just keep calling him Norman, and then you win. Mm-hmm. Norman. And by the time this episode comes out, it'll be a solid, uh, solid thing, and Inception will have happened. So, if you can help me out, Peter, can you can you entitle this episode Norman the Dog? Sure, that'd be great. Norman, All right. Norman Bullhagen. <laughs> Ooh, I don't like that part. Uh, let's just let's just stick with Norman. So, what are you preaching on, Berg? What is the text, Vicar? Uh, the text for Easter five would be John sixteen five to fifteen, which is uh, we've got uh, part of Jesus's uh, teachings to the disciples on Monday Thursday, and this is specifically when he tells them that he's going away and will be sending them the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. whereas he specifically says the Helper. And what is the word for that? Uh, paraclete, mm-hmm. which we don't really have a sufficient enough word in English to translate that properly. Mm-hmm. So what kind of English words would, uh, for our audience? Uh, advocate, counselor, helper, they they all describe what he's doing, what that job is, but it's it's kind of all of that and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out, find a good word for that, and I don't, I haven't found it yet. Now, a paraclete, is is that the kind of shoe a skydiver wear, wears? I thought it was for the football field. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh. like a super cleat. Oh. Well, I mean, you can't just wear the one. You have to have a paraclete. Yeah. Shoes for Paralympics. <laughs> so so what does the Holy Spirit uh, I said, do, Vicar? Vicar. Vicar. Yeah. I wasn't passing there. So, yeah, that's... Maybe I should just read, read, read this. Uh so sorry, verse five. Uh, but now I am. This is Jesus said. But now I am going to Him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth: it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will no longer see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So yeah, we have kind of a list here of what the Holy Spirit does. He's uh, to yeah. me, it, uh, it kind of helps explain what the Holy Spirit isn't because when you, when Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, that should point us in the direction of, of the word, because, uh, a lot of times people, what do they quote, equate this Holy Spirit with? Like, a An emotional reaction, emotional reaction, or some sort of, uh, a hand guiding me or 
all sorts of things. The spirit led me to do this or that. It becomes very mystical. Mystical. When when uh, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he equates it with comfort, but a comfort that is based in the Word, in His righteousness, in the truth. Because if you think about it, uh, the great fight between good and evil, between this, uh, Christ and Satan, is what is true and what isn't true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing is really a theological debate. What did God say? What didn't God say? Rather than the way a lot of people think about the Holy Spirit. So, Vicar, where where are you going to go with this sermon? That's what I've been struggling with. <laughs> and Because we don't talk as much about the Holy Spirit compared with the other two people of the Trinity. Like, we hear about you know God the Father a lot with creation. We hear about God the Son constantly, as we should. But this... You know, this question of, okay, what does the Spirit do? And, you know, we've got, he's he's judging and he's guiding. He's, t- he's a teacher, in mm-hmm. a sense. So trying to, I'm trying to get that, and especially looking at the Old Testament reading, which is Isaiah 12. You know, that, you know, where, where's the word? This far was, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that you'll say in that day, I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. This, this idea that, when the Holy Spirit comes, we now understand. You know, we now can then actually thank God. It's that same thing where, you know, the law doesn't mean anything to us until, you know, as a guide for our life until we have been brought to faith. In a sense, what the Holy Spirit does is expands what Jesus did from the one person in that one location to wherever his word is spoken. Yep. So, so you're still wrestling with that a little bit, yeah. At least trying to make it coherent. Yeah, that's always a challenge for Vicar. Coherence is good. <laughs> what direction were you going to go? Do you know yet? I was thinking of preaching on Acts chapter four, and then using the text from John chapter sixteen as a more of an introduction. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit convicts uh, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment? And uh, because Acts chapter 4, this whole text points us forward to Pentecost and to the mission of the apostles. And Acts chapter 4 has a lot to do with the boldness of Peter and John. And that word there, boldness, uh, means all speech. It's unreserved speech. It's free speech. That's what that word boldness means, and that the Holy Spirit gives boldness, both in convicting and in pointing to Christ as... The Savior, and in and in so doing, they can stand up against the Sadducees. They can mm-hmm. resist the government when the government oversteps its bounds, uh, and it also gives them great joy. Uh, so, really, the Holy Spirit is the only one who actually believes in free speech, because all other speech is either couched in in these terms: we all pull our punches, or uh, if we do have free speech, like we see today. Uh, it's not actually free. It is bound. It is bound in sin and in corruption. And so the Holy Spirit is the only one who believes in free speech and speaks freely and gives people uh, the the boldness to speak freely. Listener, if you, if you think about this, do you actually feel as though you're free to say what you believe? I mean, I I think... You know, we like to think, oh, we can always say what's on our mind. Can you? 
especially in, you know. And this is a constant temptation for us to fall back under the law or to fall back under sin because we pull our punches with our own family. We pull our punches in society um, where the Spirit brings about great disruption. Mm -hmm. It does. This is what it means to speak the gospel. The gospel turns the world upside down. And in the same in the same manner, the Holy Spirit also then changes hearts and minds to hear that word as well. Right. And that's the beautiful thing. And even when it doesn't change their hearts and minds, it is still the consolation that we have when we are being persecuted. Because, frankly, what Peter and John say to the Sanhedrin doesn't actually change their minds. They just try to stifle the free speech. They try to say, well, just don't preach about this Jesus anymore. You can believe what you want. Just don't just don't talk about him anymore in public. What I also find interesting about this text is, is um, at some point I want to talk about the divine call and what that means. I don't know if it's the next one or the one after, because I kind of been, I worked for a very short time on a what it is, what it ain't, what it could be. Mm-hmm. But do you notice how, how the the Holy Spirit, and what it speaks. What exactly does it say, Vicar? The Holy Spirit only speaks... How does it word it? Where it talks about... He will take yeah. what is mine yeah. and declare yeah, it only, to you. Well, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, whatever he hears, he will speak. Mm-hmm. So it isn't, it isn't interesting when it talks about what the Holy Spirit speaks, that even he only speaks what he's... Told. Told or given to speak. Mm-hmm. And that should be a lesson to the church as well. Yep. To be mindful of, of speaking, of when we are supposed to speak, what we are supposed to speak, really, and not adding to it because that diminishes the message of what we are just supposed to speak. Mm-hmm. And this happens all the time where, uh, you know, historically speaking, for example, uh, uh, popes saying, the Catholic Church saying, you need to listen to us because we're the church, and speaking on all sorts of issues that God didn't necessarily give them to speak. Like what, Vicar? Oh, that's a long list. Maybe purgatory, having to pay indulgences, whether or not the Pope is actually the authority to say whatever he wants, whether priests should get married. I mean, we could go down a long list of many things that have little to no basis out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so the the Holy Spirit... I kind of did it. it kind of. Uh, give me a buzzer. The Holy Spirit speaks what he has given, and then that means we shouldn't box the whole... Box, we should, shouldn't test this and say, oh, the Holy Spirit is leading me there. The Holy Spirit is doing this. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is working uh, to... And like all these emotions in me and all those things, when the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. No. You have Jesus saying that. He's there to give you what is given him. Yep. What Jesus said and what he did, that is what the Holy Spirit proclaims. And and where do we find that, Vicar? Scripture. Well, there you go. So so that might be a, a good good angle for you, Vicar. Yeah. We'll get through this. Yeah. Like I said, it's just follow it's, me around for a while. Yeah. You'll get this. Like I said, it's making it coherent. <laughs> Coherence is good. Yes. So I am excited today. When when Berg strolled in, uh, or actually he was here first because I was teaching uh, two and three year olds uh, uh, scripture today. 
Um, and uh, he's 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 I got this episode, man. Pretty confident. You yeah. did a lot. I mean, when was the last time you did this much show prep? Well, it's been a while. Yeah, we're excited. So, Hannah, this is for you. So, our parts, rather than having uh, having separate parts today, um, I we're going to start with your question, Hannah. Then we're going to talk about the Protestant work ethic. Uh, we'll talk about uh, what Luther wrote or ascribe or subscribe to on work. We'll talk about leisure, the basis of culture. We'll talk about Akadia, the noonday devil. And that will be our show. So four parts. Wow. So That's a lot of show. That is a lot of show. All right. I guess we should get started. So, Peter. So, uh, Anna sent us an email. And we received this email from her just after she sent the uh, surreal meme, and I had to come up with an explanation. So she says, hello, clerics and Peter. First, the surreal meme. I'm glad it was such a hit. Peter, great work with your on-the-fly analysis. I look forward to seeing your next three interpretations. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm sure that'll happen. Um, to answer some of your questions, one, yes, I do have my own associate producer, David. I'm not entirely sure, but I think he can make memes like this in his sleep. So, that, that that's how, by the way, that's how big our podcast has gotten. The we assistant have, producers have... No, the assistant to the assistant producer. Right. 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 So this is kind of like the Dwight Schrute of the podcast. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, To, yes, that's me in the photo rocking a disconnected undercut. So shaved back and sides and long on top. Is that an undercut, they say? You you know what? I I was, you know how when you have ADD, you skip around when you read? It happens to me. So I was like, that's me. And then I skipped shaved back. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, three, no, that's not a wedding dress. It's a costume donned for a day at Burning Man. I'm not sure what that is. Yeah, I I don't know. Second, a question, probably for Berg. I'm reading a book called Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. The author makes a number of interesting arguments, but her claim about the origins of Protestant work ethics sound weird to me. This is a quote. Uh, Luther despised the practice of allowing people to buy salvation through gifts to charity, so he emphasized hard work and frugality instead, she writes. Another quote. uh, Though Luther argued that salvation was achieved through faith alone, he also taught that hard work is the gift of God and that we can recognize good and faithful people through the hard work they do and their efficient labor. Luther believed that idleness should be enjoyed only after death. Uh, this is Hannah talking again. Did he really? I know he developed the idea of vocation and, quote, masks of God. And that he wrote and taught and preached like it was going out of style. But he did, but did he really get into the weeds of efficient labor? Finally, I enjoyed hearing from the woman behind the collar and the collar-to-be. It was a, it was a sparkling episode marred only by Bullhagen's constant cajoling, this is an audio medium. Some people nod or flash thumbs up before they talk and wait to speak before interrupting someone. Overlapping conversation isn't great radio either, Bullhagen. (laughs) (laughs) She finishes by saying, Oh, and enjoy my spotty Facebook posting while it lasts. 
I have plans early this summer to exit Facebook in a more permanent fashion than Berg. Okay, before you do that, make sure we have uh, uh, we can add David to our text chain. <laughs> and she signs off the email, your chewed out, sugar-free, maple syrup-deprived associate producer, Hannah. Oh, we'll get that to you sometime. <laughs> I think we might have already mailed it. I don't know. Well, I'll check on that. If, if not, it can be like the first task waiting for the update. <laughs> so, and so, my first impression, Berg, mm-hmm. is that it is a little bit of a misapplication of Martin Luther that he was dealing with works righteousness, not just what she interpreted as giving to charity was actually not necessarily always giving to charity. It was giving to the church. Am I wrong on that? All right. So this is a big topic. (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of prep. I actually read uh, The Protestant Work Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism by Max Weber on this. Uh, This is a great question because I had just finished listening to, and the author's name of this book uh, which was talked about earlier, Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. Her name is Celeste Headley, and she just gave an interview with Brett McKay on The Art of Manliness, and it was entitled The Case for Being Unproductive. So I had just listened to this episode, and then we got this question from Aunt, from Hannah on on this. So I am going down the same path. And we can talk about some of the things about working and some of the ideas that that this uh, journalist has about working, which I find actually very fascinating. By the way, I am also an expert at doing nothing, so <laughs> so this will be great. So uh, let's get into the Protestant work ethic, because this is really the basis of uh, Celeste Headley's argument of where did capitalism come from? And there are really two schools of thought on this. There's the Marxists, and then there is Max Weber's book. The Marxists believe that uh, economics drive history and religion. And so as economics change, then religion also changes. Max Weber actually argues the opposite. He says that the economics, our modern-day capitalistic society, was actually driven by a spiritual revolution, which was the Reformation of the 16th century. So this was a groundbreaking work uh, against the Marxists and really kind of one of the founding works for sociology uh, in the modern age. It's really quite an amazing book. It, is it try- So this whole discussion is trying to make connections between uh, faith or the religion of the day and its economic system that it uplifts. And for example... Uh, certain economic systems seem to kind of try to downplay the role of faith. Right. Or that or, the faith that is built uh, is directly tied to or springs from the economic system. So, for example, a nomadic tribe is going to have shamans, a more, uh, at least according to the Marxist system, Right, mm-hmm. Marxists are going to believe that religion changes as the economics change. So when you're a hunter-gatherer society, you're going to have shamans. When you have more of an agriculturally-based society, you're going to have priests and temples. 
when you go through sort of this kind of capitalistic, you know, this sort of capitalistic upchucking, um, you're going to have more of a free religion without, you know, um, clergy, basically. Uh, where, uh, what Weber's point is, is that no, it's actually the opposite, that religion here is actually driving capitalism. And that our modern notions of work and hard work and, and efficient labor are actually derived in part from what happened back in the 16th century. Hmm. And he has a lot of uh, data, which is very compelling. Uh, he looks at different parts of Germany, uh, why certain areas of Germany are more industrial uh, than other parts. And he it's, it's a fascinating book, but that's neither here nor there. So it's very important for us to realize that here Max Weber's book is very important and that it is driving, it's kind of the foundation of this whole discussion, okay? When was his book written? 1903, I think it was. Okay. So uh, one thing that I was very disappointed with, and I actually sent this back in an email to Hannah asking if there were any quotations or anything that she cited, and the author, Celeste Headley, provided no quotations or citations for her claims concerning Luther's beliefs in hard work, frugality, um, hard work as an indicator that someone is good or faithful, or that idleness should be enjoyed only after death. Now, that, that should really be a red flag to everybody. When somebody doesn't cite something, mm -hmm. uh, you really need to go digging. And, and my guess would be Martin Luther did talk about, for example, the idleness of being a monk, where you, know, you think by locking yourself in a room and praying for 15 hours and is serving God. Yeah, and... It's interesting because Celeste Headley didn't even engage Weber's book very well because she puts a lot of this on Luther when the whole point of Weber's book is not really about Luther. Uh, he his his uh, his looking is actually very different. He's got a much different focus. So this is what Weber says about old Protestantism, like the, what we believe. The old Protestantism of such men as Luther, Calvin, Knox, or Voigt had little to do with what is today called progress. It was directly hostile to whole aspects of modern life, which today even the most extreme sectarian would not wish to do away with. This is on page 7 of... So, obviously, Celeste Headley read the Cliff Notes version because she didn't <laughs> even get to page 7. Okay. Maybe Celeste Headley didn't know uh, Berg was going to read this book. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone was ready for that. So anyway, so what is Weber's whole point? Weber cares more about Anglo-American religion, like the Puritans, than about Luther or Lutheranism, with the exception of Pietism. Uh, she quote uh, he quotes um, on page six. A virtuoso capitalist commercial sense coincides with the most intense forms of a piety which permeates and regulates the whole of life. Calvinism in particular, wherever it has existed, has exhibited this combination. And then again on page 7, sects renowned equally for their detachment from the world and their prosperity, especially the Quakers and the Mennonites. So Weber's whole point is he's not really looking towards Luther or Lutheranism. Now, he will have a whole section on Luther and the call. Because this is something that he attributes directly to Luther, that uh, all Berufsleben, all callings in life, uh, are equal before God. And this then 
uh, is kind of the genesis, and this is picked up by Calvinism uh, and the Puritans, and then they kind of run with it. But really, um, Weber is more about the Puritans, he's more about the Quakers, he's more about the Mennonites than he is about Lutheranism. He actually hates Lutheranism in his country. Uh, when he writes this, he actually says, I shudder at the monstrosity of Lutheranism because he believed that it was authoritarian and that it was actually keeping the German people down. So um, so he here is talking about the English, uh, and he quotes this guy Montesquieu. And Montesquieu said about the English, this is the people in the world who have best known how to take advantage of each of these three great things at the same time, religion, commerce, and liberty. Uh, he says on page 14, Massachusetts had the capitalist spirit before any development, capitalist development had taken place. Neighboring colonies, like the southern colonies, remained far less developed, even though they were founded for business purposes, whereas New England was founded by preachers for religious reasons. So here he's putting a lot more on Calvinism, right? His, mm -hmm. his whole focus is on the Calvinist, the Puritan work ethic. And he says here, again, on page 16, it was regarded as an article of faith that low wages were productive, that is, that they increased work performance, and that, in the words of Peter de la Corte, whose thinking was, as we shall see, truly in the spirit of old Calvinism, the common people will only work because they are poor and only as long as they remain so. Which is such a terrible... <laughs> uh, and then, what, what's even cooler, okay, he has a whole... Thing here on Benjamin Franklin's sermon on how to get rich. Okay, this is amazing. Franklin views commerce as not ethically neutral, but as an ethically slanted maxim for the conduct of life. So you are actually obligated to work. It is ethical, it is moral for you to work hard. So for Benjamin Franklin, all the virtues of honesty, modesty, and the like are only virtues to the extent that they are useful to the individual in concrete situations like getting a loan. So his whole advice in the sermon is, well, you have to be honest because otherwise the creditors won't trust you. You can't be at the bar drinking every night because then the creditors will be afraid that you're not paying off your loans. So for Benjamin Franklin, all of these virtues that we would say we should cultivate for our own sake— Yes, and we would, we would, <laughs> we would slap on Benjamin Franklin. See, he this country was founded on Judeo-Christian— yeah, who he is a deist, okay? He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Christ. So anyway, so here in Benjamin Franklin, you really see the capitalist spirit take off. Uh, but Franklin avoided all uninhibited enjoyment. He, it says here on page 12, Indeed, it is so completely devoid of all eudaimonistic, which is pleasureful, uh, you know, that you actually use your money for happiness, let alone hedonist motives, so much purely thought of as an end in itself that it appears as something wholly transcendent and irrational. Benjamin Franklin was against people spending money to make themselves happy or enjoying their lives. You worked hard for its own sake. And we can think of people like this because, I mean, can, can you think of somebody like this? S someone who who worked hard all their life, and they die, and they have all this money, but they never actually spent any of it on themselves. We have prisoners oh. like this, right? Mm -hmm. Who think this way, who worked hard all of their lives, right. who have these vast fortunes, and yet they couldn't buy a new bed for themselves. Right. Or a new car, or uh, put in a, a ramp so they could get into their house easier. 
right? We we've yeah, seen this. Yeah, I was thinking from the biblical uh, point of view. Uh, let's build more barns. The rich fool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's who I was. I was thinking of from your. But even he says, "Okay, we're building these barns. Let's eat, drink, and be merry." That's true. Where what is going on here is there's no enjoyment. Money and the hard work is not something to be enjoyed. It's something to do for its own sake. And we've seen a whole generation of people like this, precisely those people who grew up in the Great Depression. Right. Where they are, it's almost neurotic. It's almost a a religion in that they work so very hard, and yet they will not enjoy any of the fruits of their labor. Well, this all stems back to Benjamin Franklin. And they're actually, on the the flip side of that, there is a version of pietism that flows from that too, where you have to be such good stewards of what God has given you that you can't spend your money on something that you might enjoy. And not just enjoy, but sometimes stuff that you need, (laughs) like like a ramp to get into your house when you get old. We see people like this. So we see this kind of spirit. And this is something that Benjamin Franklin, he is kind of the embodiment of this spirit. And where did he get it from? Well, his Calvinist father drummed this passage into him from Proverbs 22, 29. Seest thou a man active in his calling, he shall stand before kings. So all of this, even though Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian, he he was a deist, his Calvinist father instilled in him these things that ultimately coalesced into what we now see, this sort of religion of efficient labor, of working hard, of working hard only for its own sake, mm-hmm. which is something that we see a lot. Um, we also see in this book the distinction between capitalism and traditionalism, and you can just hear, because even I, I, I am influenced by this spirit too, uh, even though I consider myself to be a traditionalist, um, but I've been influenced by this sort of spirit of capitalism thing too. So Weber brings up agriculture, and people, as there were more crops coming in, they're like, okay, let's pay these guys more because then they'll work harder because they're getting paid more, so they'll do more. Well, men actually worked less when they were paid more. Why? The extra money appealed to the traditionalist less than the reduction in work. He did not ask, how much can I earn in a day if I do the maximum possible work in a day? But his question was, how much must I work in order to earn the same amount that I used to earn and which covers my traditional needs? And to most of us today that grew up, uh, those words are pretty terrible, right? And yet, this is traditionalism, that we would rather have the time off to spend with our families Mm -hmm. than to kind of rake in this money. This is one reason why what makes the the behind-the-collar moment, uh, the ministry, different, just from a a work-related thing, Mm -hmm. is the fact that uh, we generally— can't you know if you're a farmer what can you do you can you can rent out more fields to make if you want to increase your income there are some active things from a capitalistic point of view right that you can do if you you know you can put up some hog farms mm-hmm. you can do all sorts of things where you can say okay this is some things i'm going to do to raise my income 
Mm-hmm. You know, as a pastor, maybe you could write. I mean, you can have a few smaller. I don't want to call it pastors doing a side hustle, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Whether, whether it's some things that you can do on the side to earn a little bit more, and there like are other podcast? places. Yeah, like a podcast where we just roll in it. Uh, Ads every twenty we, seconds. That's ever since we we sold to <laughs> Spotify for how many million? Anyways, uh, but 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 the, what that does is that that. That means that a pastor needs to be self-disciplined. Yeah, and I'm going to get into that when we talk about leisure and how the pastor is really kind of the last leisure class in Western civilization. Because if we worked 90 hours a week or if we worked 20 hours a week, how does that affect our pay? (laughs) It Mm -hmm. doesn't. Well, and Celeste Headley, I think, comes up with a good point in the podcast episode I listened to where she talks about it. We've got such a an hours mentality. Well, we put in so many hours a week. But the problem with that is, is that if you tell somebody, well, uh, then people actually end up wasting that time. It's like, well, I got to be here for eight hours a day. And so actually all the statistics say that Facebook scrolling and porn watching actually goes up uh, at like 10 o'clock. <laughs> Because people are at work and they, it's, it's, so her whole point, and I actually like this because this is actually more like the farm, is rather than looking at it as I'm putting in eight hours or 40 hours a week, uh, it should really be based upon uh, projects. Like getting your tasks done. Getting your tasks done. Kind of, kind of like I've told Vicar before. Uh, that's actually kind of how I do yeah. Vicarage is. Is if you're doing, I'm not, I'm not counting hours. I'm not seeing when you're coming and when you're leaving. I don't care because if, if you're getting the things that you need to be done, done, you'll you'll good. be working plenty, right? And so, and and that's why it's very like I I actually like that. I like that sort of way of of doing it where it is task oriented or uh, project oriented. Kind of like Peter, you you have your. On, on our schedule, right? Let's say you had some work to do and it said, okay, you're going to get paid this amount for doing this this job, this this uh, project of uh, of uh, labels or cutting. I'm, I'm, I don't have the terms right. You're laughing at me. Okay. But let's say you said, okay, we're going to pay you either by the hour or we're going to pay you that by how many, how much of this you get done. So get this done. We'll pay you would you work faster? Definitely. Yeah, it's sure. kind of interesting. Yeah, because, and this is what they're finding with people, is that if you tell somebody that something is due on Tuesday, they're going to get it to you Tuesday. If you tell them it's due in two hours, they're going to get it to you in two hours. And so this... Uh, Vicar, your sermon's two hours, okay? <laughs> It's gonna be hard to do while helping the podcast. Berg's bordering, border, uh, bordering upon my one of my favorite phrases: uh, "Do tomorrow, do tomorrow." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Jonah wore a T-shirt to school today or this week. It said, uh, uh, "Procrastinators, leaders of tomorrow." <laughs> I like it, but this is part of the problem: is when we turn our when we turn these hours into into money, this, this actually is kind of an issue, right? That 
when you turn hours into money rather than you completing a job, it gives people a lot more of an opportunity to monkey with it. And in fact, they found out that, and this is actually Celeste Headley's whole point of why she wrote these books, is that if you're putting in 50 or more hours a week, your productivity is actually less than someone who is doing 20 to 25 hours a week. And the reason for that is, is when you get tired, you work a lot slower. Mm -hmm. And so this is a very, uh, I think she's on to a point, but I still think that she's, she's doing this not so much. She does a lot of this just because, and, and trying to convince people to do this just because of the productivity issue, which is still within the spirit of capitalism. You should give people time off or do sort of this project-based thing because it will make your people more productive, which she did at the end of the podcast say that what we're doing is pretty anti-human. And I do agree with that in a lot of ways, um, because if you are working hard and not able to enjoy the fruits of your labor, th that is an issue. And to do hard work simply for its own sake uh, is not good either. That's not Christian. It's actually a perversion of what, uh, of what uh, Luther taught and uh, what we're about. So uh, what did Luther actually say about work? What did he write and what did he subscribe to about work? Um, well, Article uh, 16 of the Augsburg Confession, says that uh, of civil affairs, they teach that lawful civil ordinances are good works of God and that it is right for Christians to bear civil office, to sit as judges, to judge matters by the imperial and other existing laws, to award just punishments, to engage in just wars, to serve as soldiers, to make legal contracts, to hold property, to make an oath when required by the magistrates, to marry a wife, to be given in marriage. That it's okay to hold property. It's okay to make contracts. It's okay to do business. This was a really contentious issue in the Middle Ages because you had bankers like the Fugers uh, and de' Medici and the like, and they were looked down on. And really, all money-making businesses were looked down on because the higher life was obviously the monastery where nobody held property, where you didn't, you worked basically to feed yourself and pray all day, mm -hmm. where uh, this is a huge shift in the religious landscape of Christianity, because now they it says here that they're not only neutral, but that they are good works of God. So we see it also in the large catechism, where uh, we, which is such a great critique of capitalism in a lot of ways, of crony capitalism. So. Large Catechism, uh, Seventh Commandment. But beware of this. When the poor man comes to you, of whom there are so many now, who must buy with the, the penny of his daily wages and live upon it, and you are harsh to him as though everyone lived by your favor, and you skin and scrape to the bone, and besides with pride and haughtiness, turn him off to whom you ought to give for nothing. He will go away wretched and sorrowful, and since he can complain to no one, he will cry and call to heaven, then beware, I say again, as of the devil himself, for such groaning and calling will be no jest, but will have a weight that will prove too heavy for you in all the world. For it will reach him who takes care of the poor sorrowful hearts and will not allow them to go unavenged. But if you despise this and become defiant, see whom you have brought upon you. 
If you succeed and prosper, you may before all the the world call God and me a liar. So here, um, Luther is defending the poor. And the capitalist spirit hates the poor, as if being poor is a sin, as if uh, the poor man is lazy, as if he is not as loved by God as the rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is this is a this is a common sentiment that well if someone's poor that means they're not working hard enough they just need to buck up they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps but this isn't what Luther taught at all uh, he doesn't say that um, they're efficient labor right that these are the good and faithful people uh, through the hard work they do and their efficient labor right he's not saying that. What he's saying is, is that God hears the poor. God loves the poor. Uh, and that good work, that hard work is not an indicator of blessedness. Some people are, because I think what we do is we categorize people. Some people are better at hard work than others. There's a <laughs> and, and frankly, some people are, are simply more successful than others because of, I, I know people who work really hard but they don't have managerial skills. And mm-hmm. so they can never really run their own business. We talked about this before, didn't we, Peter? What was it called? Uh, we were trying to come up with the term for what happens when uh, a person is promoted past the point of their effectiveness uh, to the point of being incompetent. Uh, we Googled it, and it turns out it's the... Berg? The Peter Principle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have this sort of myth in America that, well, you can be whatever you want to be. And it's just simply not true. It's simply not true. And you can be promoted above your competency. There are some people who need to work blue-collar jobs, not just because we need them, but because they are not suited for white-collar jobs. And generally, they're more happy when they are in that situation. Mm-hmm. But, and so just, just continuing on here, and not only that, but there are people who are competent and have skills, and yet they fail in life because of external circumstances of which they have no control. Think about the, about coronavirus. Think of how many people have started up businesses or um, restaurants, and they worked hard, and yet these things still failed. So success by what we call hard work it's not it is not the same thing as being blessed by god and i think that's good for us to remember that god actually does love the poor god actually promises to hear the poor i'm going to bring up a few questions some thoughts i had because mm-hmm. kind of trying to bring it into to kind of what's going on now so and so um okay I know there were a few while Berg was going, but it felt wrong to interrupt him with it. <laughs> what I was going to say is, for capitalism, would you agree with this statement then? For capitalism to work well and properly, it also has to come with a Christian ethic. Yeah, it has to come from faith. Other, other, and And where that has failed then is also... Um, where there is no faith, 
that's when Marxism creeps in and, in a sense, becomes the God that feeds you, the God that clothes you, the God that, uh, you know, the way we see it now is uh, where there is a lack of, of faith, what becomes a God science? Something needs to fill that void. Yeah, and I do think that once faith is gone, once that Christian faith is gone, when it's no longer there, capitalism becomes something monstrous and demonic. And I think we see it even today. Uh, what we see today is that Americans are working more hours than any country in the world. Okay? That's what we're seeing, is that uh, today, uh, a recent Gallup poll survey revealed that the average work week for U.S. full-time employees consists of 47 hours. This almost adds up to an extra full day of work every week. 11% of those surveyed worked 41 to 49 hours, 21% put in 50 to 59 hours every week, and a whole 18% worked 60 or more hours. This means that almost exactly 50% of full-time workers log more than 40 hours every week. The Netherlands has the shortest legally mandated work weeks of any industrialized nation, with an average of 29 hours and only four work days every week. France had 35-hour work weeks for a while and even contemplated 30-hour work weeks. On average, Americans work 137 more hours every year than Japanese workers, who we perceive as chronically overworked, 260 more hours than British workers, 394 hours more than the average uber-efficient German worker, and a whole 499 more hours per year than workers in France. So Americans are working more than any other nation in the world. And for what? It's not to enjoy life. It's not to serve God and to serve the neighbor. But it's killing us. Like, it's killing us. This this sort of demonic uh, capitalism without the Christian faith is actually consuming us. We are spending all of this time, uh, and it's not making us better. We're not producing anymore. I mean, look no. at the Germans. Would, would anyone say that Germans are lazy? No, absolutely not. And yet we're working hundreds of more hours than them every year. This stuff is killing us. It's taking us away from our families. It is depriving us of the good gifts that God gives us. And, and I think people are noticing that, and they think the answer is socialistic-type things, mm -hmm. which is falling off in a different angle. When the, you would say... Uh, I think we would say the answer is loving and being kind to your neighbor and seeing seeing your work as a gift and a calling. Yes, and being content with that, because contentment is a gift from God. That we don't have to because look at look at what we're doing. Hard work can be an idol, and it is a savage idol. It is an idol which ultimately ends up destroying people because, yeah, you might have a mountain of wealth, but if you have no family to share it with, if you have no God uh, that you can lavish your praises on, you're stuck with this dead, this dead green paper. I think an example of this, not on the economic side of things, mm -hmm. would be sports has kind of been the same thing. Yeah. It used to be something that you would go out and enjoy like my son plays tennis he's on the tennis team and, and there's really in, in high school tennis there's really uh, two types of tennis players 
there's like the ones who go out for tennis because it's fun and they like to hit the ball around. Then you have like the kids who started taking lessons when they were six. Mm-hmm. Poor Jonah, he he's he he, uh, he played a tennis match to a guy who yesterday who goes to like tournaments all over the country. Yeah, and uh, I bet that was. <laughs> and, and you know he had the. We should we yeah, should point out that J- Jonah's not necessarily the most tennis like build either. But he he does pretty good. He he's the the number one player on the team. But uh, but yeah, it hits a, for him. It's a it's a hobby. He does it in this in the spring. The first time he really played was tennis at all was his freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go up with a guy who, and you can tell you wondered, is he in, he's winning and there's joy in winning, but is he in enjoying it or you you look at uh you know sports doing a lot of things they can teach you how to work hard and do all sorts of things certainly but it can get to the point where it it just becomes this whole other animal yeah yeah this monster where you well and even like you and i are guilty of this too and this is a behind the collar scene because have you taken all your vacation days uh no. When's the last time you took all your vacation days? What year? Have you ever done it? I have done it before. Like, but like district scale says I've like once you have like I think I'm supposed to have like five weeks or something like that. See, you are, I, you're you're just to... as you are you are just as infected by the capitalist spirit as anybody else. I just had a panic and... mode of of suddenly being left alone for five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it important? Yes, that you get away, that you refresh yourself. I mean, Jesus and his disciples got away; they tried to go to desert places. What's wrong with taking? So you're the... saying I should go to Vegas then? <laughs> well, it is a desert place. <laughs> I. Uh... <laughs> All right, Bullhagen, let's go to Vegas. <laughs> but, but see, you feel like there's something wrong with you taking time, even though you have this, right? Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And this is this is the problem. Well, see, the thing is, too, the other behind the collar is, is sometimes taking vacation time is more work. It's just <laughs> it can it can you be. know getting ready for vacation, getting everything lined up. Anyways, and so maybe there's there's some ways that uh, and pastors, if you have better ways of uh, dealing with some of these issues, where can they reach us? They could find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash podcast. They could email us, uh, feedback at clericalerrors.org, or on Twitter, clericalerrorsp, p for podcast. At me, bro. I like this. Please let us know, guys, uh, any pastors listening. Uh, how do you, because how do you I think, deal with vacation? Because this is a big deal. I mean, another behind-the-collar thing, my predecessor died here in the last couple weeks. Mm-hmm. He was only 70 years old. Pastors are often overweight, overworked, stressed out. Um, and not always, I'll, and I, we are not taking the time that's actually allotted to us because we feel guilty. And I will say, not always efficient either. Yes. So this is, this is, a, this is a problem. If, if I could insert an observation, that's been one simultaneously frustrating and beneficial thing being the vicar here. Because I knew coming in, I needed for myself a schedule because I'm a very, very bad procrastinator. So the somewhat laissez-faire method that Bullhagen uses 
did did annoy me at first because <laughs> I, I was never sure. It's like, okay, what do I do? Where am I supposed to be? How do I know? Okay, I've accomplished what I need to get to. But at the same time, I haven't seen him really burned out. Like the, the late the laid back method was like, okay, we're going to get it done and it'll get done. I, I, I thought of that when that. we, you know, in the Christmas season, we had a, a few funerals. Yeah. Yeah, that was really eye-opening. We had, what, two or three all in pretty quick succession. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there, it was no big deal in terms of getting everything finished. That that That's the one thing that comes with, with uh, experience is yes. you know it's going to get done. Mm-hmm. And and uh, part of the stress of... of for example, Holy Week or Lent is is not just the work, it's the stress of wondering and thinking about how you're going to do it. And if, if you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but I'll say Holy Week this year was much less stressful, in my opinion, than my experience the previous couple of years at field work. And I was doing substantially less in any sort of helping, and there were even less services at the church I was at. So so, what 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 you th- what was behind that? Was that just the the calm atmosphere? Yeah, the the you know the looking at this not as oh we need to get this this many hours done each day, but rather here's the next thing to get done and we'll get it done. Mm-hmm. That that kind of and and when yeah, we we did get start, you yeah. know something done, go home. Hey, we're done. Yeah, go home. Right. Yep. Yeah. Which is a I think a real value for this sort of task-based way of doing your work week. Yeah. At least for us. Unfortunately, it's not a big that'd be a hard change I think in a lot of other uh, occupations. But, the, but yeah. at the same time that that I think you kind of mentioned this too because I am laid back that way and not stressed out. It makes people who are naturally given to stress a little annoyed. Why aren't you stressed out like me? <laughs> it can, yeah. Like like I said, my my struggle is making sure I get things done. So I've worked very hard to put myself on a schedule because that's that's been my struggle where it's like I, I miss a deadline and then it's harder to finish or something. Right, but that has to come from you. Yeah, but be, but being able to see the that bigger picture side of you know, here here's the task, here's the project. You know, it may be like I'm working on the VBS stuff right now. I'm going to try to work on as much of it as I can during this week, but I'm not going to spend, you know, 20 extra hours in the office doing it. And that that's where efficiency comes in because, yeah. you know, if you, if you say I worked 20 hours or 40 hours on something, how, how much better does that 20 hours, that extra 20 hours make it? Probably not. Because you just wind up redoing stuff, and then yeah. you say, "Oh, you know what? My first instinct was probably better, anyways." Yeah. Other other than making sure I get the sermon done quickly, because then I we can actually look it over. My plan for like work on VBS is, you know, when I get ten minutes, I'm going to work a little bit with it because I've got time, and it will get done. All right. Well, that that we will continue this on our next episode. We've probably left a lot of your points out still. Yeah, we still have a few to go. So, So, uh, thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. I'm Vicker. Thanks for listening, and may my wife's dog be named Norman. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. 
questions, thoughts, concerns, you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.